Hello and uh, welcome to episode 5 of our um, podcasts on employment law. I'm Brian Powers, the director of PCC Employment Lawyers. I'm joined by the other director of the firm, Helen Carter, and our colleague, associate, Jacob Reddy. Um, for those that haven't listened to our podcast before, it's just uh, an informal chat about a, a topical issue in employment law. It's intended really to supplement our recent book, which is an employer's guide to Australian employment law, which is available on our website if you're interested. Um, kick things off, this week we're going to be talking about managing sick and injured employees, which is a, a key area for us, um, something that we deal with for clients pretty much on a daily basis, and, and it can be a, a very difficult and traumatic experience for employers. It's a bit of a minefield at it times. Is. So really, Jake, I'll, I'll leave you to it. What, what are we talking about today? So, I mean, I thought we might start with probably the most common scenario that um, is faced by employers regarding a sick or injured employee, and that's when an employee calls up and they're, they're sick. So, um, I mean, we know that there's a right to pay personal leave, which includes sick leave. Um, that's one of the 10 national employment standards. Uh, each full-time employee is entitled to 10 days of personal leave each year. So that's what employees are entitled to. But um, Helen, what are the employer's rights in this situation? Because it's not just a, a, a sort of free-for-all, you, you can take this leave. What, what, what can the employer do in this situation? Well, under the national employment standards, when an employee calls in sick um, and wants to use personal leave, an employer is entitled to require evidence that would satisfy a reasonable person that the person is sick or if they're using personal leave for carer's responsibilities, that it's necessary that they take personal leave for carer's responsibilities. That will usually be a medical certificate clearly setting out the dates on which an employee will be absent and the reason for the absence, or if it's carer's leave, it can be a medical certificate um, for the person they're required to care for. Statutory declarations are sometimes also used as evidence. Um, it's also important to note that an employer is entitled to set the process for notification that someone wants to take personal leave. For example, um, there are some employees um, that will routinely text um, message that they're not coming into work. An employer is perfectly entitled to set out that they're required to call and they're required to call a particular person. They're also entitled to set out that the person should call personally, not have another person call. Now they may sound very formalistic and draconian and in many workplaces and with many employees you wouldn't dream of putting in place such a, a regime but when someone is repeatedly taking sick leave you're concerned about how valid it is and it's disrupting the workplace. Some of those measures such as calling a particular person before um, commencement of shift and calling yourself personally can in fact be very very useful in um, ensuring a person turns up for work. So, I mean, I guess in that situation, uh, you might like to think about potentially having a policy that covers in calling in sick, or, I mean, if maybe it's only certain employees have a sit down with them and, and give them an instruction, basically, this setting out the process, that's, that's what you're saying, Helen. Giving them a specific yep. direction to a particular employee in circumstances where they're taking lots of leave. Under the National Employment Standards, you're quite, and under most employment contracts, um, you'd be quite entitled if you suspect somebody is um, perhaps not ill or it's a Monday or a Friday and they're constantly taking leave on those days to require medical certificates for even single day absences. However, 
before putting in place a regime like that with a particular employee, always check whether there's an enterprise agreement that applies because some enterprise agreements have different provisions um, in relation to sick leaves to just the standard national employment standards which um, just require evidence that would satisfy a reasonable person. So what happens, Helen, um, in a situation where an employee's, they've used up their 10 days of personal leave, I mean 10 days that's two sort of full working weeks, it, you know, if, if there's a, a, a sort of long-term absence, it, it, it can be used up fairly quickly. What happens in that situation from an employer's perspective where someone's used up all their sick leave? They are then on unpaid leave. They still require a medical certificate. Um, and uh, during the period of unpaid personal leave, they don't recruit any further leave or personal leave or annual leave. Um, it's important to note that if the person um, has used up all their personal leave, that you need the employee's consent before putting them on annual leave and using up their annual leave balance. Many employees will give that because they want to continue to be paid, but you can't just do that without consulting them. And I mean, I guess the, the sort of follow-up consideration of, of that is how long can the employee stay on unpaid leave for? Because, I mean, it's pretty clear that they sort of can't indefinitely stay on un unpaid leave. Um, but I, su I suppose that the question, and, and to be blunt, is at, at what stage is the employer able to sort of terminate the employee but because they've been absent um, for a, a sort of an extended period? Yeah, look, and there's a few considerations, isn't there, Brian, yeah, at this point? And, and look, it's, it's it, it can't go on forever, but it can go on for a very long time, depending on the case. And we're not going to sugarcoat it because there's a real maze, a legal maze of different obligations and rights um, to, to be navigated. And, and it's just not something that is, is ever particularly quick. And look, the first and foremost, one of the things you've got to consider is the general protections provisions that, that really you, you can't be, um, you can't be dismissed um, because of a temporary absence um, due to illness or injury and, and a temporary absence is, is basically three months on unpaid leave. Um, provided there's a medical certificate. Provided there's a medical certificate, of course. Um, then there's also some workers' compensation issues if the injuries happened at work. Um, you know, in New South Wales, there, there's a six-month um, period in which an employee can't be terminated because of that incapacity if the incapacity was caused uh, at work. I mean, it's probably important to clarify as well that this is we're only talking about the the, ab the absence because of the illness or injury during this yeah. time. If there's some other you know misconduct or redundancy, that's a completely separate no, issue. That's right, we're and then that's it, that's in relation to to both of those the yep. the temporary absence um, or illness under you know general protections and also workers' compensation. And also, I, I should have noted that um, the general protections no longer applies after three months. That doesn't allow employers to just fire people after three months it's either. Not a, it's not a great yeah, line. No, that's right. Because there's also a couple of other things, and, and really there's disability discrimination, and there's also unfair dismissal. Um, and we're not going to labour the disability discrimination um, issue. Um, we might have another podcast on that at another time, and that's particularly on the issues of, of how to deal with people in the workplace in this area of law. But, but in real terms, the real consideration when it comes to disability discrimination is that you can only terminate someone if they can't do the inherent requirements of a role after the reasonable adjustments 
um, any reasonable adjustments have been made. And really when you're talking about an absence, what it comes down to is what is the impact of the person being absent? Is, is that fair to say, Helen? I mean, you've yes. dealt a lot in this, so. Yes, it is. So can, uh, if a person can't work, whether it's a short term or a long term, they can't at that time perform the inherent requirements of the position. Now, um, that's, an un that's a hardship that the employer absolutely has to face as a matter of statute for at least three months. The Fair Work Act says you've just got to cop it, doesn't yeah, matter how yeah. small or big you are. Once you get past that, the issue then becomes when does that failure, when does that, um, the adjustment the employer is making of in effect allowing the person to remain on unpaid personal leave, when does that become an unjustifiable hardship for the employer? You're required under disability legislation to make reasonable adjustments until it becomes an unjustifiable hardship or the adjustment is reasonable until it becomes an unjustifiable hardship. So how long will depend, how long is reasonable will depend a lot on the nature of the business. If it's a small business and if it's a crucial position, it'll create an unjustifiable hardship a lot quicker than a huge business where it's one, I mean, to dismiss, say, for example, um, you know, a, a teller in Westpac Banking Corporation immediately after three months would seem to me, prima facie, to be um, unlawful. Yeah. But if you're a small business and there's four people and the other three are working excessive hours or you can't get in someone to cover it or the person who, who you know, there's a lot of reasons you could imagine in yeah. a smaller business. Or you're having to outsource... Yeah, and pay a lot for yeah. the extra person to yeah. do it, yeah. So it's really, uh, but but having said that with disability discrimination as well, we will revisit that in terms of of the um, the acts generally when you're talking about uh, what is required in the workplace when somebody is in the workplace has a disability that prevents them from doing the inherent requirements. Really that, that brief summary was just for the purposes of how do we deal with someone that's absent from work. Yeah, it's probably and a bit much to go over all sort absolutely. of in detail, as you said, maybe for another another time, another podcast. Um, well, really the main one is the unfair dismissal yeah. as well, which is it's really important to understand that unfair dismissal, anyone that's covered by unfair dismissal, um, that applies. Um, it, this is not a, you know, as you said, green light, uh, Jake, just because they're, they're absent from work and can't do the job doesn't automatically mean that the unfair dismissal provisions go out the window. So um, it, it's, it's important to establish that, you know, first of all, like Section 387, you have a valid reason for dismissal, but also, you know, the other things, you need to put that reason to them, opportunity to respond, et cetera, et cetera. And, and re remember as well that the, the Commission's going to be consider considering harshness and, and, and how harsh is it sort yeah. of dismissing someone. and. And obviously, it, it becomes a bit murky when when someone is is unwell and they're off work, and you know yeah you, you sort of have to think about this playing yeah. out in front of a commissioner. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, someone's been in a job for a long period of time, and and is absent for three months. All of a sudden, yeah, yeah that's a that, that's a bit that's a big part of it. So that so you have you have basically all of the th the key provisions in relation to unfair dismissal in this situation will apply. Firstly, you have to have a valid reason, which is basically that they don't have the capacity to do the position and also that it is causing unjustifiable hardship in effect to the business to keep them on unpaid leave. Then you've got to have also the process of putting your reasons to them and you can also have that issue of harshness, which again will play into the personal circumstances of the employee, but also 
in practical terms also, they will look at whether in fact how large the employer is and the yeah. impact. But it's also important in the unfair dismissal context to note that if you um, are challenged in the commission, the onus is on the employer to prove the valid reason. The employer will need to get medical evidence that supports the fact that the person has a capacity, a capacity issue. You can't just rely on your views, your opinions, or what's said to you by the employee. In most cases, you're gonna to have to get an independent medical assessment of um, their, whether they can perform the inherent requirements of the position. Now, if they've been off a long time, which are the situations we're dealing with now, usually that will be no. And another question you're gonna to have to ask them is when are they likely to return? So you're gonna need that type of information to be able to prove your valid reason before you, you go any further in an yeah. unfair dismissal perspective. And fundamentally as well, once even once you have that valid reason or you think you have that valid reason, it needs to be put to the employee. Because you never know what they're gonna say. They, they, you know, they, they, they might have a response that surprises you. It's unfair <laughs> to make a decision yeah. before they've had that chance, and that's a yeah. fundamental one. I mean, they might have seen their doctor the day before and they've said, oh, you should, you, you might be right within two weeks or something to, to come back on partial duties, and obviously that throws a bit of a spanner in the work. You know, that's, that's new information. Yeah. So what about the situation, and this is one that we deal with a lot, Helen, where the um, there's no sickness or, or anything but you put the allegation, you put an allegation to an employee, a misconduct type scenario, and then they go off sick. Yep. It seems to happen a lot. What, what could happens the all the do? time, and it is a real frustration for managers when this occurs, and we see this all the time, but there's a couple of things to consider. Number one, the medical certificate will be believed. You can't go around saying, uh, it is frustrating, we all know doctors give medical certificates left, right and centre, particularly when someone's subject to allegations. And in fact, the person may be genuinely unwell after receiving the yeah, allegations. Yeah, yeah. So there are and all sorts of things in play, but you can't just operate yeah. on an assumption. And also just, just the doctors too, just to defend the doctors for a minute, they also are, are thinking legitimately only about the patient yeah. care. Yeah. yeah so they don't care about work. They're but just thinking, the Fair Work Commission will not allow you in any way, shape or form, or the, or the federal court if it went that way, to they will not allow the employer to just think well I think this is, is a ridiculous condition it's a it's been caused by the allegations that I'm going to disregard yeah. the medical certificate so you can be as, as cynical as you like yeah. about it but ultimately it's it's not in your interest to sort of just ignore it no because you've got to you've got to think about where it might end up and if it ends up before a commissioner or a judge it's it's just not going to look yeah. good at all but as you say to Helen it's, it's not I mean there are those situations clearly where we're going off sick can be sort of used as a shield against against disciplinary processes and, and stretch things out and all of those. But but as well as that, as, as you sort of hinted, it can actually make people sick. You know, they're facing something extraordinarily stressful, um, the possibility of losing their job, and that does make people sick. sick. Yeah. You know, and doctors will see that, and, and that that's a that's a no go area. So you really need to need to wait that out. I think. So you just need to slow down and wait. If it's an allegation of misconduct. You just have to wait um, for a period. Um, you, If it's an, an issue of them being put on a performance review plan and they've gone off sick, again, if it's something personal to them, you just have to wait out the period. There's one of two circumstances. You can either have a, a reasonably short-term employee who quickly uses their paid sick leave and they could be on unpaid leave, which although frustrating 
is obviously less difficult for the workplace because they're not paying them. Um, if they're a long-term employee and they're exhausting their personal leave, again, frustrating, but remember, they're a relatively long-term employee if they've got a substantial wad of um, personal leave and therefore you've really got to consider um, the fact that your process, if challenged, will be carefully scrutinised with a long-term employee. Look, in my experience of these matters, you know, as frustrating as it is, at 99 out of 100 times, that if you just wait through the process, um, the person will never come back to work and everything will be resolved in a quite satisfactory and relatively cost-effective way for the employer. If, on the other hand, sheer frustration and need to rip the band-aid off or resolve it provokes you to do something too quickly, you can really end up in a bit of a disaster. And that's, I know it's frustrating because of why is this happening, etc. but usually it's just a matter of waiting it out. And if it's an allegation, we are bullying, other forms of misconduct, even fraud, what, whatever it is, they're out of the workplace. Yeah. So the impact on the business is limited and you're just waiting it out. You're perfectly entitled to turn off their emails and their contact and all that sort of thing. In fact, it is would be recommended. Yeah. And it'll keep too. If, if it's really egregious, if it's if it's a misconduct, it'll wait. Yes. <laughs> the time will come, but it's um. It's I mean, thing. that could nearly summarise sort of the um, a, a lot of what goes wrong from from our perspective. Employment law, um, in, in general, is where people rush. They they, they don't follow the, the the sort of correct process, and, and and they sort of jump the gun a little bit. And it's yeah. understandable from a personal perspective because you're stressed. You're often outraged by the conduct of the person. They've made counter-allegations. You've had, you know, often long periods of underperformance. And, and you just want it resolved. And you just yeah. want it resolved so that you can move on. you just got to tolerate it. And it's usually only a matter of, you know, two to four weeks, but it makes all the difference in the yeah. world. To and the, the sick leave. I, mean, I, mean, I, I talk to employers that are often outraged just at the cheek of people trying to use up their sick leave before they go as well. But the reality is sick leave is accrued i mean it should be accrued i mean the the sensible employer will will basically factor in their employees being sick for 10 days a year because and if you and if you've got a bad employee the one that ends up in these sort of i'm not saying everyone that gets sick is bad but if you've got a bad employee someone that ends up in a performance improvement plan or an allegations letter or whatever sick leave them using the sick leave is the least of your problems (laughs) (laughs) um and so i mean Similar but slightly different. What about the situation where an employer, um, there's a potential redundancy, they're trying to consult with the employee and the employee is is off sick. Um, what, what can the employer do in that situation? See, it's similar but, in my view, fundamentally different. And that because in this situation, it's not about the specific instances of the employee. It's about the role. Um, so you have to consult if the employee is covered by a modern award. But... You don't have to, the business does not have to stand still. So whether the employee is working on parental leave, on personal leave, um, on secondment, in another country, whatever it is, it doesn't stop you from making them redundant. Now, if they're not in the office for whatever reason, particularly during personal leave or parental leave, you do have to make a real effort to consult with them. But if you can't consult for whatever reason and the decision has to be made or the decision has been made, you've been trying to consult for two weeks and it's happening, you can go ahead, in my opinion, because you just you can't be forced to continue to hold up a whole business. Yeah. Because someone and that, well, I think there's a fundamental distinction yeah. there too. As you say, 
on one level it's not about the person it's about the role but the other thing is in those operational circumstances there can be just an, a, a date where a restructure there's a date when it's has happened. to happen or, or the, the, it has know, that, to happen yeah. and there could be all sorts Whereas of circumstances disciplinary situations that's not the case in so. redundancies it, there's so many situations it can be a whole lot of other people's positions uh restructure of positions is waiting there can be a bank requiring an employer to make a redundancy yeah. by a certain position yeah you have to follow the process but ultimately if the person is just i'm too sick to consult after making various attempts and giving them alternatives and support persons and opportunity to do it in writing or whatever way you can do it if they just will not consult you're still entitled to implement the but you've hit on the key there though helen too to actually you've got to make the effort you've got to try yeah. and do it yeah and um, the danger comes when you say they go oh, they're sick they can't be consulted so or we'll just do at it, the worst you know. and there are many many cases try about something. this try. i don't think people do it anymore but many many cases where people just didn't consult people on parental leave yeah. all these type of things so you have to make a real active effort yeah but with a sick person particularly someone that might be a little aggrieved in whatever way and is refusing to consult Ultimately, you just got to make the decision on the date the yeah. decision has been made and move on. And move on, yeah. So we've talked uh, a little bit, I guess, about an employee um, being absent from the workplace because they're sick and a few different considerations there. But what about the situation where um, an employee is, is, they're at work, they're in the workplace, um, but the employer has con- some concerns about their health or their mental well-being or their you know, physical well-being? Um, and their capacity to, to be able to properly undertake their role. This is where it gets really difficult in a way. Not, not an easy question, <laughs> you might say, Brian. I mean, I've, 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 I've put it I, to you. The but... starting point has always got to be the health and safety of your employees. That's the thing. I mean, you, you have, you've got a positive duty to, um, under a number of different areas of law, contract, tort, etc., statute, to make sure that your employees are, are safe. Now that includes the individual that you're concerned about, but it also includes the impact that that individual might have on other employees in the workplace. Because fundamentally, and especially when you're talking about a, a, a mental illness or, or a mental health issue, that can very often cause safety issues, not just to the person, but the people around them. Um, so really, fundamental thing is, a, is an employer can direct an employee to attend an independent medical examination, like an IME is, is, is what we call it, provided that it's lawful and reasonable to do so. So an IME is basically where an employee attends uh, an independent medical practitioner at the direction of the employer and at the cost of the employer as well. And the purpose of the IME is to provide the employer with an independent you know, medical opinion about the employee's injury or, or illness or their ability to perform the role safely. Um, and in, basically that's gonna be generally the starting point if you're ever in a situation where you, you positively believe for, for reasonable reasons that, that, that someone has a, a, safety, a safety issue at work. Um, so I mean, basically the employer is in a position and they're saying we're concerned and we need more. We need more information because yeah. obviously the employer—they're not an expert in any of these sorts of things, so that they need someone no. that is an expert. And that's a good point. To provide really. that opinion. They're not an expert, and so there there is a fine line between saying, "Okay, I need an expert opinion," and also using using that direction as a kind of a weapon against employees too, because you, you you're not expert enough to just decide all of a sudden this, there's a problem. It needs to be reasonable, I yep. suppose. So the process really—I mean, Helen, you. 
the process in sending out a medical is sending the letter to the medical practitioner you'll also send it to the employee you have to explain the employee's role and exactly what the employee has to do because you know there can be a lot of differences um depending on different medical conditions for example back injuries um how much lifting has to be done if it's um if it's an issue involving you know um customer service and someone's having a, a, a mental health issue that involves them you know a lot of outbursts there, there can be a lot of yeah. issues or most importantly in mental health perhaps the better example is be sometimes when they're at the supervisor and there's been issues um, from their team for example so you need to ask what the prognosis is what the whether the employee can perform the inherent requirements of the role giving explanation to the medical practitioner of what is the role and what reasonable adjustments, if any, can be made to the role. So just the fact that if if a medical practitioner prescribes what adjustments are needed for the person to do the role, it might be, for example, um, rather than having a team of five, they can only have a team of one or something like that. That doesn't mean that the employer has to do it. It just means the employee has to, uh, has to consider whether they can do it and would have to prove if challenged disability discrimination or an unfair dismissal that it wasn't reasonable for example the another staff member would have to take on three additional employees that they couldn't take on so but you need to ask them so they can set out exactly what could be done from a medical practitioner's perspective to enable the person to do the job so then you can work out well can we do them so i mean another common one is you know they might be able to do a few hours working from home or something like that and a lot of positions you can't necessarily undertake the role to the, its full extent from home. Well, one of the ones I've seen so many times, it just makes me want to tear my hair out, and, but it's just so common and is, in my view, almost always unable to be accommodated is when people come back. This is not so much from an IME, but often from their own medical practitioners saying they can do the job as long as they don't encounter X. X being another employee yeah. who they hate. That's something I was going know. to ask actually about as well because we, you know, we hadn't talked about it. The IME really is the official one, but I know a lot of the smaller employers out there might be because the cost of an IME is it's a significant business cost, yeah. And, and in many ways, it's also a, a very difficult thing for an employee to go through. And there is always that option, at, at least as a starting point, to get a medical advice from the person. Particularly own if you think practice. it's not going to be controversial, yeah. I'd be yeah. very, very reluctant. To do it in relation to a psychiatrist or something like that, yeah. but certainly if it's a if it's a you know Phys- physical, physical sort of, illness, yeah. that's something you might well consider. Yeah, and I mean it's crucial in that situation as well, isn't it, to provide the the position description? I mean, I think you sort of touched mm. on it a bit earlier, Helen, but um, you know you might have a situation where um, the employee sort of says that they're good to good to come back to the workplace, um, but you're not sort of entirely convinced yeah. um, that their their medical um, practitioner has the full picture. So I think that's and sort of... That's, what, that's what giving the proper decision right. information. Yeah. And another one is to make it very clear if there's deadlines. Like, to be honest, in today's workplace, there's very few positions that are not, you're not under quite significant time pressure and deadlines, etc. But it needs to be set out very clearly, particularly when you're talking about the mental health aspect because often you'll have people that say well they can work but they can't be put under deadlines or pressure yeah. or, and and whilst that might be something that can be sustainable for two to three weeks while someone reintegrates to the workplace in most positions in my experience that's just not going to work 
Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate in many ways, and on a social view, I think we'd all agree it's a bit unfortunate that that's the way the workplace and society has become, but it's the reality. Yeah. And it's often in conflict with what the doctors think would be suitable for people. Yeah, which and, is right. Yeah. And, a, and a treating doctor, um, fundamentally, their, their concern, you know, Hippocratic Oath and all the rest of it, is for their patient. Yeah. You know? and, and that's a bit first. And that's where the IME comes in, really, if there's a... It's a fundamental conflict between what, what a treating doctor says and, and the, the business interest, the, what's reasonable in, in the business. That's where you, you often have to get the independent view and that's a difficult thing for em, employees to go through. But that's, that's, that's really the thing. But what happens, I mean, I, I guess that really takes us to the next question, which is what happens if you ask, if you direct your employee to go for an IME and they say, no, I don't want to do it. Yep. Well, I mean, that's the, the million-dollar question, isn't it? That's, yes. um, I mean, such a, such a minefield as well, this one. Very, very delicate to manage um, and, and something that is sort of semi-frequent, um, quite common. But there, there was a recent case in the Fair Work Commission with this um, sort of exact situation um, where it was considered whether an employer was able to lawfully dismiss the employee who refused to attend an IME. So the case was Bledis uh, and the Star Entertainment Queensland trading as the Star, um, and that was the case from 2019. Um, the Star, as the employer, became concerned um, when Mr Bledis, um, who was their employee, uh, began engaging in some rather erratic behaviour. So this included... He was making a number of sort of bizarre comments to his fellow employees and, and managers and um, uh, I think there was also he was refusing to wear the required uniform you know the little sort of vests that they wear in the casino um, and then he was also sending um, completely un unsolicited and unrequested uh, YouTube links to songs um, to I don't care anymore to his <laughs> gaming manager so the, ga the gaming manager clearly not a, a Phil Collins fan um, <laughs> you'll Phil Collins fan modern, there Brian or? modern technology I remember yeah. when you used to have to send your boss a mixtape yeah, yeah well you know times have changed you can now send YouTube links but um so that was apparently concerning conduct from the um from the star all of those things not sort of in isolation probably all sort of considered together that um, something was going on with Mr. Bledis uh, and there was some, potentially some mental health issues there um, and they were concerned about his ability then to perform his role um, properly and they directed him to an, attend an IME um, with, his, with a psychiatrist of, of their choosing. So Mr. Bledis then refused. He said, no, nope, I'm not going. I'll get a certificate certifying that I'm, I'm good to go from his own psychiatrist. Um, there was a lot of then back and forth between the star, between Mr. Bledis. He was questioning the independence of, of the, the star's chosen psychiatrist. And he kept saying, I don't have any mental health issues. You can't tell me to do this. Basically, I'm not, I'm not attending. Um, the star, they told him, they warned him on a number of occasions. They said, look, this is a lawful and reasonable direction for you to attend an IME. We have some genuine concerns. Um, and if you don't go, your employment's at risk. Um, and ultimately, the, the staff basically made the decision, Mr. Bledis, you've not followed our directions too many times, um, and he was dismissed. So when it got to the Fair Work Commission, um, and they were considering whether the dismissal was unfair, they noted that it's an employer's right to inquire about a potential mental illness the same way that they might inquire about a potential physical illness 
um, that would impact on the performance of an employee's role. So if an employer was concerned that someone's injured their arm so they can't lift boxes anymore, it's the same way if they're concerned about someone's mental well-being that they can sort of get them to go and, and, and see a psychiatrist and get cleared. Um, so it was held there that the start they did have a valid reason for dismissing Mr. Bledis um, because he refused to follow their lawful and reasonable direction to attend the IME and his excuses for not attending were inadequate. And I also, I think it's, um, uh, I totally agree with the decision because there's circumstances where it's actually the most compassionate thing to do is to send someone to an IME because an alternative given his refusal to say his constant statements that he's absolutely fine for the star would have been to just give him a direction. For example, you don't wear your little vest. Is that? Yeah, well, yeah, 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 I yeah that's right. I should have provided a bit more context yeah. there. He was saying that he did have, I think he, uh, from memory, he had uh, diabetes or something. So he's saying yeah. that was the reason why he couldn't wear yeah. the vest because he was overheating. And so there was a bit of well, there's a, a, a lot dispute of, about yeah. that but, one. But um, what I mean is in general yeah. terms is when someone's behaving erratically and in a very which is often the case in these, yeah. unfortunately in these cases, in a very unsatisfactory circumstance, there is a, an alternative to just, when they say there's not, that they're fine to work, to just treat them on the face of it and then discipline. Now, I would always recommend going the approach the star does because yeah. has because if you just take the other approach and then they put up their hand and say, well, I've got a mental illness, then you're going to be bashed around for doing that. Yeah. Now, in this circumstance, though, when he actually was refusing to go, it could have been potentially open to them to then yeah. just, you know... But it's it's, it's really interesting with, with mental health at work because quite rightly, we're, we're really opening our... As a society, we're more and more open to, to mental illness and trying to be compassionate and trying hard, you know, to, to understand and really incorporate... Um, mental illness at all at all varying levels, um, but it is it is difficult, and it's difficult when you get a situation where you get a compassionate employer that uh, that oversteps the mark, and you can you can almost be be less risk in being just really blunt. Wear the vest. Or else. Stop sending me YouTube links, or you're fired. Yeah. You know, but but then when you when you I don't over, like Phil Collins. <laughs> when you when you overstep yeah. the mark a little, some, sometimes there are dangers. But then because there's a compassionate. But then it's. Well, the, in my view, the, the mental health route, when you genuinely think it, you genuinely believe someone has an issue, such as the star empo- employee, it's actually a compassionate approach because you're trying to work out how can we help. Yeah. And most employers that should do it. That should be the starting position. Yeah. It, it should be. Yeah. And, and most employers that we deal with, that is what they want to do, but yeah. they don't have the information to know what to do. But also, like, the, like any issue relating to any type of diversity, I mean, you, you get a better workforce if you if you if you go the extra mile to try to do the right thing mm-hmm. for your employees. And I I know that they sound so. Everyone talks about IMEs and uh, as if there's a presumption that it's going to be the end of employment and, mm-hmm. and the rest of it. But you know, I can think of cases where people have been sent on an IME. Many cases. They make. The, 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 the independent medical examiner recommends some adjustments that perhaps the employer hadn't thought of. Yep. The adjustments are made, the employment continues, the and employer, that was a really positive both thing. Both the employer yeah. and the employee make adjustments and everything yeah. goes on. But, yeah, um, the commission will will generally expect you to send someone to an IME, will generally expect the employee to comply, and will generally expect them to follow what happens in the IME on both yeah. cases because uh, not so much... When it gets, if it's if it's the opinion of a treating doctor versus an IME, I mean the IME, the doctor has to um, uh, 
act genuinely independent and they are required to act independently. It's, it's funny you were saying, Jake, that the, um, the employee was saying, oh, I'm challenging the independence of your psychiatrist. So have my psychiatrist view instead. You know, yeah, like treating one. Yeah. If is... there's a real degree of, of conflict and difficulty around the IME and the person's very resistant, one of the things that I recommend is that you ask the actual IME to certify, basically use the federal court independent expert code of conduct. And that's a pretty serious thing, and they will do that. Yeah. And a lot of them are used to giving evidence in court, and they will do it. And they know it's a very serious thing, and they're not going to just say what the employer wants to hear, and they're not going to say what the employee wants to hear. They'll give their professional opinion. Well, I mean, they have obviously so many professional yeah. obligations not to just, you know, that that's legitimately there. They, they're, they're legitimately going to give what their medical opinion is and yeah. not just, you know, regurgitate what the employers asked of them. Yeah, um, that's 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 absolutely right. I mean, what what do we think from that that case where um, you know it, it seemed like that there was a number of refusals from Mister Mister Bledis. Um, so I mean, you probably couldn't fire him when he's refused once. But but at what stage? How many times do you yeah, think well, sort of first, he's, he's refused? I think the first direction to go to an IME doesn't need to contain the words "if you don't go, we'll terminate your employment." Yeah. Whereas if he refuses to go a first time, I would do a second one that includes you may be terminated if you yeah. don't. I, I think after that, you'd, you'd be able to terminate myself. Yeah. I don't think you need to just keep harping on about it. Yeah. As long as the second time is very, very clear that this will result in the termination employment. Yeah, well, I think we've probably covered enough for today. <laughs> but we certainly, yeah, the, the issue in a further podcast, we'll certainly cover more on the disability complex, the disability issues in in terms of the actual employee that is is working but not yeah, working and that's exactly a, a, again, as you may wish them to do another powder keg of um of risk and difficulty but for another time but uh thanks for listening if you made it all the way to the end of that one <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll see you uh, next time episode six thanks thank very you. much thanks